Good morning and welcome to LifeBridge Online. You know, I, I say good morning today because it, it's actually before 5.30 in the morning uh, on a Saturday in just a few minutes. Um, and we're going to have some guys rolling into our church and we're going to be having a steak and eggs uh, breakfast for these men. We've got some men coming from some other churches and we've just been praying that, that uh, God is going to show up and there's going to be some time of encouragement, some time of, of fellowship. And I say all that to say because you're most likely watching this from your home, from uh, listening to it on the way to work, whatever the case may be, and, and you can't be here this weekend or, or you're still you're still stuck at home. And I just want you to know that we miss you and we, we pray for you often. We, we're grateful that you give us the opportunity to still be part of your life and we just want you to know that if there's anything that we can do as COVID still rolls on, as we're still trying to, to figure out what new normal is and what life is going to look like uh, in, in the midst of a, of a pandemic uh, and just what, what life is, uh, we want you to know that we want to minister to you. And so if there's anything we can do for you, we encourage you, reach out to us uh, in the office, uh, email us, and we will do everything within our power to uh, help you with that need. You know, I don't remember the exact day this next week, um, but we are approaching the one-year anniversary of the now infamous 15 days to flatten the curve. And the experts, whoever the experts are and whatever makes them the experts, told us that by staying home and social distancing from people, that it would increase our odds of quickly ending this pandemic. And uh, that was, man, at the time, it was really rapidly starting to ramp up and spread throughout our country. You know, this whole flatten the curve was simply about keeping this thing from, from spiking and then taxing our medical industry with overcrowded hospitals and clinics. For whatever reason, we missed on the 15 days. And as you know, many businesses and schools are still closed to this day. This has me thinking about a few other predictions that have been made uh, throughout the history of, of our country and even of our life that were just missed. Uh, things that were, were predicted that said, man, this will never happen or this is going to happen. So I started researching this out. It's pretty fascinating. There's, there's a couple of things. Like in 1876, for example, and I know only a couple of you actually remember this, uh, the president of Western Union, the telegraph company, said that the idea of a landline where you could verbally talk to someone in another location would never work. William Morton called the telephone a toy when Alexander Graham Bell offered to sell it to him for $100,000. He said, it will never work. It's nothing but a toy. He said, being able to talk to somebody in another location via hard wires will, won't, isn't gonna happen. It's not gonna, and just think about today where we are. Uh, in 1900, an article published in the Ladies' Home Journal, and this was actually an education journal, uh, says that the letters in our alphabet, C, X, and Q, will become extinct from the English language by the year 
2000. They said that uh, these letters will be abandoned because they are unnecessary in our language. And so I know a lot of times X and Q, I kind of wish they weren't part of our language. I know those tend to trip me up. Uh, but nope, they're still hanging out. In 1903, the president of the Michigan Savings Bank refused to give a loan to Henry Ford, saying the horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty. It's nothing but a fad. Then most of us do remember the Y2K predictions, right? The turn of the century. The world would come to a halt. Uh, all the computing systems so heavily relied on, that we relied on, and, and just every industry at that time would come crashing down because no, no one knew how the operating systems would respond when the date rolled from 1999 to 2000. And so at that moment in time, when, when the clock turns from 99 to, to 00, what's going to happen to all these operating systems? How are they gonna, are they gonna crash? No one knew what was gonna happen. And of course, in, this, in some parts of our society, this caused mass chaos. People were stockpiling water and canned goods. Uh, man, people were buying gas masks and ammunitions were nowhere to be found because, man, they just thought that it was going to just be total chaos and we were going to be, be living in, in some desolate wasteland and we were going to have to be fighting for survival. Here's the thing. All of these prophecies missed. And, and that's what a prediction is. Uh, it's, a, it's a prophecy. And, and so you can use those words interchangeably and, and that applies because all of these things said we're gonna if we do this or if this happens uh, or this will happen because we respond to this, all of those examples are things that that missed that that were wrong. You know, and the Bible is full of prophecies. It's full of predictions. Most all of them in the Old Testament are pointing to the coming Messiah. Over sixty major predictions that one day. God will come in the form of a baby on this earth. He will grow up to be a man, and he would go on to save people from an eternal death. The Old Testament is full of prophecies, 60 major pointing to the life of Jesus. David, the earthly king that God chose, is predicting in his writing of the second psalm that the Messiah figure would be coming to earth. And so David is, is categorizing, he's, he's putting together the, these poems that God has laid on his heart. And the second one that we read in this book is predicting the coming Messiah. Read it with me, if you will. Psalm chapter 2. We're going we're gonna to spend a minute or two here. We're going to read all of it, starting in verse 1. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with, with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. 
For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. And there's a lot of different things working out in this, uh, in this poem, right? Uh, look at verses 1 through 3. In, in verses 1 through 3, you, you have these earthly kings who rebel against God. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of what that is. In, in verses 4 through 6, God is laughing. God is laughing at their rebellion and promises judgment when his anointed one, the Messiah, is coming to earth. Verse 7, David points out the relationship between this anointed one and God. He says, he will be my son. Verse 8 depicts the son's worldwide authority. Verse 9 depicts his power. Verse 10 comes back to the earthly kings, and he encourages the earthly kings to be wise in considering their rebellion to God. Verse 11 tells these earthly kings that they should serve the Lord. And verse 12 encourages their submission to the royal son, the king of kings. All of these details in this psalm are all pointing to Jesus. And I didn't realize this until I started studying it this week, but this psalm, Psalm 2, is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It's used in many different places. And a thousand years before Jesus even set foot on this earth, David is writing about him. David is writing about this coming king and the power that he's going to have. He's telling the people of the earth that they should serve the Lord, that they should consider their rebellion against him, and that they should be submissive to him. Which has got me thinking about why prophecies. You know, why was it necessary for God to have so many predictions a thousand years before Jesus was to take step on this earth? Why did he do that? What's the point in Moses and his life pointing to to Jesus and Abraham in his life pointing to Jesus and David in his life pointing to Jesus. Why, why did these people that we've talked about, why are these prophecies necessary? Well, if you've been studying uh, from our 452 book this week, I have uh, a selection. Mark Moore writes, God wants you to have all the evidence you need to give your loyalty to Jesus. Like he wants you to have this evidence. Keep reading with me. This is especially important when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, which he seldom does. Even in his own day, he wasn't the Messiah the Jews hoped for. He was not a warrior king who conquered his enemies, but a suffering savior who died for them. 
Where they hoped for liberation, God granted salvation. They wanted their borders secured, but God wanted their borders abolished so all people could have access to him. When they expected God to send help, he saw fit to send himself. Such an earth-shattering shift would require overwhelming evidence. That's exactly what we have in the Old Testament prophecies. Because they're so specific, because so many could not be fulfilled by human efforts alone, they're compelling evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. These Old Testament events in history, these Bible figures that we read about are not just for our entertainment. They're not failed attempts by God to, to get it right. The Old Testament is God's story of the relationship between he and humans. And it peaks when Jesus comes on the scene. And intertwined within the day-to-day -day living of David, God is providing prophecy. He is providing predictions about the coming Messiah so that you and I can have the evidence we need to believe in him. Second Peter, uh, Peter's writing this letter to all Christians. Second uh, Peter chapter one, verse 20 says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. It never came from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. God is telling us very specific details about Jesus before he is ever born. As it was pointed out, Jesus fulfilled every single prediction about his life. Do you think about this? Like, like there's hundreds of, of predictions about Jesus, 60 major predictions about Jesus. And, and he fulfilled every single one. Everything that was said about Jesus came true. Peter Stoner did the math on this. He calculated that the probability of this is one in 100 quadrillion. Think about that. One in 100 quadrillion. I, I can't tell you. It's like 17 zeros behind the one. It's crazy to think about. I thought that was one of those numbers that just as kids are playing with one another, they just make that number up. That's the probability of this coming true. The collection of books that are gathered together, known as the Bible, the best-selling book of all time proves itself to be 100% reliable. Everything that is said in Scripture is reliable because it is true. And Jesus, by his life and the events of his life, he proved them to be true. All of this points to Jesus, the details about his life before he lives, and every single thing that was said to happen, happened. Now, it's pretty cool, if you ask me, that the Bible can point to itself and prove itself to be reliable. But what about other sources? You know, what, what, what if you're just a skeptic and you're like, ah, I just don't know if I can believe the Bible because, you know, it's the Bible. 
It, it, it's almost like the Bible's bragging on itself here in this instance, right? And, and, and when people brag on themselves, they, they want to they wanna see the proof from other places. Yeah, here's the thing with, with humans. Here's the thing with me. As a society, we are more apt to believe the experts who make man-made predictions than we are to believe the Word of God in its entirety. I, I, I was positive. I was very much optimistic about the, the coronavirus on March 13th or whenever it was that we were asked to stay home and flatten the curve. I, I, I thought, okay, look, I, this will work. If we all stay home, if we all do our part, this thing is going to work. I, I had no reason to not believe it. And, and people are wired differently, and maybe you were hesitant all along. That's, that's certainly your, your business. But here's the thing. As humans, in general, we're more apt to believe the experts who make these man-made predictions than we are to believe the Word of God in its entirety. Think through, if you will, some of these facts when it comes to Bible reliability found outside the Bible, okay? The, the biblical canon, you think about this, was written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years. The very thing that we have, it starts with Genesis in the front and Revelation in the back, has two testaments, 40 different authors. This book was, was compiled over the course of 1,500 years. Here's what other people wrote about the figure of Jesus Christ in this book. The Roman Emperor Nero in AD 64, after Jesus died, is documented in writing and saying that the followers of the Christ figure who suffered the extreme death during the reign of Tiberius under the rule of Pontius Pilate are to blame for the uprisings in Rome and they are worthy of death. Think about this. The Roman Emperor Nero, after Jesus has died, has actually written, he actually spoke it and he actually commanded that, that these followers of this Jesus who who came under the, the rule of Pontius Pilate down in Jerusalem, they are the ones to blame. Nero, Nero says that Jesus existed. An, another Roman governor by the name of Pliny the Younger, he's, he's, he, he, he was uh, like Pontius Pilate, just at a different location. He wrote a letter to the emperor Trajan about how to handle these Christ followers. In the letter, he says that they are meeting on a certain fixed day, a certain day of the week. They're doing it before light, and they're singing hymns of praise to this Christ as if he were a god. The Babylonian Talmud, which is a collection of writings from AD 70 to 500, like this huge time span, and all of this years after the life of Jesus, the Babylonian Talmud points time and time again to the life of Jesus. Uh, there are over 25,000, get this, over 25,000 documented archaeological finds that support biblical accounts as they're out surveying 
a plot of land and they're, they're digging and they're, they're trying to study history. Over 25,000 documented archeological finds that support biblical accounts. There are over 24,000 historical writings that in some way mention or support biblical accounts. So many different world religions. I can't even remember the number. So many different world religions and cultures have their own version of the flood, for example. Josh McDowell says that there are over 66,000 handwritten manuscripts of biblical reproduction. Pieces of the Bible that were rewritten for personal use in various temples and homes spread throughout the Middle East into Africa. 66,000 people took copies of the Bible and they would rewrite it for their own personal use. 66,000. Second place goes to Homer's The Iliad with only 1,827 pieces of evidence. Did you know that there is more documented evidence of Jesus's life than the life of Julius Caesar? We can spend hours talking about the evidence that points to the validity of the scriptures that are still in existence today. The Bible is the most hated book of all time, yet it is the most popular book at the same time. It sells more copies year in, year out. Lee Strobel, Josh McDowell, both of these men have several resources available for more proof of the validity of the Bible. And to me, it's a fascinating study. I love hearing the stories of the Lee Strobels of the world and the stories of the C.S. Lewis's of the world who start to study scripture to disprove it. And they end up surrendering their life and giving their life to the Lord because scripture, because the word of God will change your life. There's a lot out there, church. But let's bring it back to the Bible for a few more moments as we wrap this up. If the Bible proves itself to be reliable, if the thousands of secular documents that support the scriptures cannot be denied, why are we so hesitant to fully believe what it says? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it's a popular verse that I like to use. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You know, Christians are always looking for the next Christians are always looking for the next curriculum to study. They're always looking for the next thing. And, and I feel like sometimes I come across as, as anti-curriculum, and, and I'm not anti-curriculum. As a matter of fact, this Core 52 is a curriculum that we're using in our church right now. But I really believe in my heart that healthy amounts of time in Scripture is what we need more of. And if you are living in a world of chaos right now, 
And if, if, if things just don't make sense to you, if you're just not at peace, if there's no joy in your life, man, I really believe that just pausing and absorbing or taking in God's word, not, not studying it, not getting lessons, but just, just taking in the word of God is the most impactful way to have life change. And, and Paul wrote to Timothy, God uses his recorded word to prepare you and to equip you for every good work. From intentionally discipling someone else to sharing our faith with others to figuring out how I'm supposed to treat my spouse and how I'm supposed to raise my children, how I'm supposed to handle money, how I'm supposed to treat other people in relationships. The Bible will prepare you and it will equip you for everything that you need in this life. But yet so many of us are still hesitant to just believe it, to buy into it. As we close, I want to close with another psalm by David. And, and, and I prayed this prayer before I walked into this room to record this sermon. And, and my prayer is that, that this passage right here is what you need. This, this, this passage, these, these couple of verses in Psalm 19 are what you need to inspire you to make the Word of God an active part of your life. Verse 7 of Psalm 19, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Here's what it says. This is when I read scripture, when I take it in, it's going to revive my soul. David wrote that, his commands, his words, his decrees, his laws, his teachings, it's all trustworthy. His commands will bring joy to my heart. His word will give insight for living. Everything that was written by Moses, everything that was said by Abraham, everything that David recorded, all of that, points to the reliability, the reliability of the word. And David wrote right here, it's all trustworthy. And all of this church is available to you from the most reliable, tangible thing you have access to. I don't know how many you have in your house right now. I want to encourage you, take some time this week. Change up your reading, change up your study habits. I want to encourage you to spend more time on less content. Read and reread. Write, journal, and read. Small portions. Spend more time focusing on less. And see what God does. It's the most reliable thing you have access to. Until next week, we'll see you.